and I uh, had no audio. Hopefully, this is audio included this time. Um, you know, when you're doing anything, you can always have some issues along the way. And that's one of my issues that I had today. So uh, we got it resolved, though, I think. I think we identified what our problem is. And uh, we are uh, rolling. So um, we are uh, glad to see everybody here uh, that might be uh, joining us now or those that actually would be seeing us later. Um, we, um, we're going to be dealing with uh, Matthew. <clears throat> so today our lesson is beginning in Matthew chapter 11. We'll be covering verses uh, 7 through 19, but we'll basically be covering all of it. So you should be able to hear that. So we're going to go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. If you would, uh, just uh, join me as we pray. Lord God Almighty, we pray thanking you for all the great things that you've done. Uh, we pray, Lord, for this message today that you would be with us as we study your word. We pray, Lord, that um, we would be able to uh, understand it and to be able to apply it. For us in your name we pray. Amen. And close my door right quick. Okay, <clears throat> we're going to... Uh, let me ask you a question. This is how many of you have ever had doubts? You know the truth, but you look around and situations you see, and there it comes. You know, you've had that happen. I've had it happen. Um, most of the time now, it's only a flash, right? It's a flash. Oh, duh, am, I, am I sure what I believe is right? And then immediately the Word of God comes to you, Holy Spirit comes to you, and you say, oh, yeah, of course it is. But we all have those doubts. I mean, it happens from time to time. It's how we deal with those doubts that come our way. Satan and his royal army is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he's looking for ways to make you doubt. It's going to happen. The world around, because we, we always wonder, Lord, how long is this going to keep up this craziness? And then in your mind, someone would say, well, if God's real, why would he allow this? And so doubts come our way on occasion, but then the word of God gives us the answer. So uh, in today's situation, we're going to see in the life of John the Baptist and how he had some doubts, but how Jesus addressed his concern and then gives praise to John, the person who doubted him. So this is important. Let's look a little bit at some of the background. <clears throat> now, some time has passed since Jesus began his ministry um, after he was baptized by John at the Jordan River. Uh, he went through the temptation. He was healed. He healed many of the sick. He preached the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he chosen 12 disciples. And he established the type of ministry that he would have in the world. So John, just like most of the other Jews, were a little confused by Jesus' ministry. See, John, like the other Jews, to a certain extent, were expecting... Uh, the king that would come and restore the kingdom. And John did not see Jesus doing the things that would do that. Um, we know in Matthew chapter 11, the first, the second and third verse, he says, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now, 
John knew that Jesus was the Messiah. We also know this from John, first chapter of John, verses 29 to 36. He says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. This is all John speaking now. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. Who? Jesus. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, and remaining on him, the same is he which baptized with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. And again the next day, John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. See, John the Baptist had no doubts that Jesus was the Son of God. So he was confused because the Son of God, the image of God, the, the what he thought God was going to be, what he thought the Messiah was going to be, was not matching up with what John's perception was. Based upon not the Scripture, but based upon tradition, based upon what he had been taught along the way by other people, anticipating the Messiah being that the Messiah would become the king. Well, he will. But that was not his purpose this time in coming. We see that John was human. And as human, we all need encouragement. See, John had been imprisoned for not accepting sin by the king. The king had taken his brother's wife. And John was the only one to call him out for it. Now, John the Baptist lived his life in the wild. He was a wilderness guy. And now he's trapped in the small cell. We don't know if he had windows or not. We don't know if he was in a dungeon. We don't know. But obviously, uh, the king did not treat him well <laughs> because uh, he was not happy with what he had said. So John here is in this prison cell and he needed a renewal of his faith. Perhaps... John the Baptist, as he knows scripture well, thought of a verse in, he, in Isaiah 42, 7 that says, he's talking about the Messiah, and the prediction was, it says, to open blinded eyes, to bring out the prisoner from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. <laughs> so it could be that John the Baptist was thinking, if this is the Messiah, if Jesus is the Messiah, I'm in prison, and according to Isaiah 42, 7, he's supposed to bring out the prisoners from the prison and let them sit down to sit in darkness out of the prison house. And John said, this is me. This is me. Well, that's not quite what that verse means. The prison that we're talking about, God does bring those of us who are in prison, those of us that have blinded eyes, those of us that don't know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. They have now seen the truth. And by seeing the truth, they are now freed from the prison of sin and the penalty of hell. So we know that. But perhaps that's what John thought. Sometimes, you know, we look at situations... And we get discouraged. 
and we need reminders of who Jesus is and then learn to trust him in the storm. You know, there's a song that says, sings, there's a song out there that says, trust him in the storm. And we do need to trust him in the storm. Um, if we trust him when the sun is shining, we should trust him when it's raining. Jesus did not rebuke John, interesting enough, for his question. Because, see, Jesus understood John's situation. And Jesus provided him what he needed. See, in Matthew chapter 11, the same chapter, verses 4 and 6, is not in our reading today. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended by me. See, Jesus told John, look at the facts, and you'll see that you are correct in trusting me. He also sends him a message at the end of verse 6. Blessed is he whoever, whosoever, shall not be offended in me. John, just keep trusting in me, and you'll be blessed for your labors. John, whatever situation you find yourself in, just trust in me. Just trust in me. You'll be blessed for trusting in me. Now we're to our lesson, verse 7. It says, And they departed and began to say unto the multitude concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? So we see the first part. And they departed. They were, of course, John's disciples that he sent to ask Jesus his question. They quickly got the information they needed because it didn't take much to see and were about to depart to go back and tell John what they had seen. But before they left, Jesus wanted to send a message back to John and have everyone else hear it too. So it says, Jesus began to say unto the multitude concerning John. Uh, this message was for all going forward concerning John, not just for them, but for everybody. The multitude probably consisted of several groups, right? Some students of Jesus, you know, followers, people who want to learn from Jesus, the curious but not convinced, and then, of course, the skeptical or even the hostile. And he asked this question then. Jesus says, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? Everyone knew John the Baptist. They all had known of him. He was very famous throughout Israel. And so the question really is two questions. Well, first question is, why did you go all the way out into the wilderness to see this man speak? And two, what did you find when you got there? What kind of man was he? You know, what did you find? Um, so he asks, he goes to a rhetorical question. He says, a reed shaking in the wind? You know, what did you see when you went? Why did you go out there? And what did you see when you got out there? What type of man was he? Was he a, a reed shaking in the wind? Now, this is a rhetorical question. He didn't expect them to say, yeah, sure, I saw a reed shaking. He didn't say that. Uh, no one who heard John speak would have ever called him timid. <laughs> he was a, you're talking about fire and brimstone. You're talking about somebody stomp on your toes. You had no toes left when you got through with John. Uh, the, the phrase, shaken with the wind, is actually a, um, 
It's a phrase that refers to reeds that blow one way or another with little to no resistance. We just got back from a trip to Florida uh, where we rode down 95, and any of you have taken that trip from uh, uh, North Carolina down to Florida, you know, you go through Georgia, and there's a lot of swampland and, and marshlands out there as you're traveling on 95, and you see these reeds that are up in the water. And, uh, you know, when the wind, if the wind's blowing, you can see how the reeds kind of bend with the wind. You actually can see it moving around as the wind blows. That's kind of what they're talking about here. Did you see a person that kind of changed their opinion based upon how the wind blows? Hey, politicians, we're here listening to you today. Now, <laughs> a lot of politicians today feel that way. They, they change their standard based upon what the population wants instead of standing your ground for what you, what you believe is right. Well, in this situation, in the Jordan River, they had something called the Persian reeds. These reeds were great in abundance. You could find them all over the Jordan River. They stood, they grew as high as 20 feet tall. They were bright green. Now think about it. These reeds were standing up 20 feet tall, bright green in a wilderness where everything else is brown and dry. They definitely stood out. So he's saying, did you go out to see this man who's standing out where everybody can see him? Did he go out there to be standing out? Is that why he did it? Um, this is also kind of a, this statement about, about, uh, uh, the statement that he said about, um, uh, blowing in the wind, uh, shaking with the wind is actually a Hebrew idiom for a weakling who was indecisive and unsteady, believing in speaking one thing one day and another thing another day. So the people understood what he was trying to say. And everyone who knew John knew that was clearly not the case. John boldly told the prominent and the self-satisfied that they had no standing with God unless they repented. Matthew 3, 7 through 10, as an example. But when he, this is John the Baptist, saw many of the, of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore meats, fruits, Meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourself, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which bringeth forth not good fruit is hewed down and cast into the fire. See, John was not timid in his, uh, in his uh, message to the scribes and Pharisees. William Penn said this, Right is right, even if everyone is against it. And wrong is wrong, even if everyone is for it. Let me say it again. Right is right, even if everyone is against it. And wrong is wrong, even if everyone is for it. Crowd is not the way to go, folks. If you have to stand by yourself. We see these crazy people out there today doing crazy things for crazy reasons. And these other people are joining in. And that's the news asking, what are you doing? Oh, oh, oh. People don't even know what they're doing. There's that a following the crowd. John was not that way. Right is right, even if anyone, if everyone is against it. And wrong is wrong, even if everyone is for it. Verse 8. But what went you out to see? So if you didn't go out to see a reed blowing in the wind, what did you go to see? He said, a man clothed in cloth raiment. Behold, they that wear us all clothing are in the king's house. So he says, what did you go to see? So Jesus says, what is, that is, so, so that is not what you saw. 
uh, nor what you went out to see was just reeds shaking into the wind. So if that's what you see, what did you go and what did you see? What did you go? Why did you go and what did you see? Is it to see a man in soft remnant? He said remnant? In the ancient days, you know, clothing was pretty expensive. Ordinary people owned very few garments. They just washed their clothes often. Or they didn't wash their clothes often. Most clothing owned by ordinary people were scratchy, uncomfortable fibers. Maybe skin off of an animal that they put together or something like that. Soft fabric was only worn by wealthy people. So let's see what John the Baptist wore. Matthew chapter 3 verse 4 says, And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loin. Camel hair. He had a camel hair tunic, which is very coarse. Have you ever petted a camel? Uh, petted a camel? I haven't, but I petted goats. And I think goat's hair and camel's hair have got to be pretty close to the same. None of it's very comfortable. I mean, <laughs> especially if you rode against the grain. Um, but it's very coarse. A, a leather, he also had a leather belt to hold it in place around his waist. So he had his tunic on and a leather belt to keep his stuff from flapping up in the breeze. When the breeze, breeze blew, blew. Uh, He says then, Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. People who dress like, uh, people that dress with, with soft clothing were focused on worldly possessions. John's apparel clearly showed that he could care less about any of that. Matter of fact, I think John's hair was probably whooped up in the air. Remember, he was a Nazarite, and as a Nazarite, he never cut his hair. He didn't eat certain. He never drank strong drink. He never did any of that. Stuff. He was a Nazarite, like like uh, uh, Samson was a man was a Nazarite. So you can go look see the requirement for Samson. Those are the same requirements that that John the Baptist had. So his hair was all whooped out, no doubt, wearing a coat of camel hair and a, a leather strap that he tied around his waist as a belt. He was not a sight. He was a truly sight for sore eyes, let me just tell you that. So people didn't go out there to see that. If he wore rich apparel, this meant that, uh, that he cared about earthly things, but he did not. He could care less about that. You know, today we see some TV evangelists and others that wear these fine $1,000 suits and they've got rings on every finger and they got some chain about their neck and they try to brag about themselves to be, to be whatever so that men would say, hey, look how glorious that person is. John the Baptist didn't care about that. He cared about the message of God. And God's message was powerful and everyone knew him. Everyone knew his message. Uh, John MacArthur provides a little bit of background on this verse that I thought was interesting. He said, In the early days of Herod the king, many of the scribes who were attracted to Herod and wanted to seek favor from Herod took off their usual plain clothes, which was, marked with a mark, which was the mark of a scribe, and they donned the ornate, luxurious robes of, the king, of, the Herod, of Herod's court. In other words, they sold out. So when the king, they would, they when the king was coming, they would put on Herod's stuff, and they would, they would go around that they were something special because they were wearing the king's official uniform. Woohoo! This is what they were comparing him to, and Jesus said, "You don't see these. You don't see this man. <laughs> this John the Baptist. He is not wearing those outfits. He is not trying to impress you with his dress at all." He wearing camel hair and a leather belt. 
What did you go to see? You definitely knew God to see a man that was dressed up, a man that was in the uniform of the king. You didn't go to see that. John clearly was no sellout. Then verse 9, he says, but what went you out to see? He says, so again, those are things you didn't go out to see. What did you go out to see? Jesus now turns to address the real reason people went to see John the Baptist. Way out in the wilderness. Understand, this was not right next door. This was not something you could sit in your house and look out the window and see the tent meeting. You had to go out into the wilderness. The wilderness. It's called a wilderness for a purpose, folks. That means there's not civilization out there. It's the wilderness. There's animals. And there's snakes. And there's all kinds of critters. And there's hot sun. And there's no food. And there's no water. Well, there's water in the Jordan River. But it's the wilderness. So what did you go out there to see? All the way out there, you went out there to see and hear John the Baptist. Did you go to see him because he was a prophet, Jesus said? Well, what is a prophet? A prophet is someone empowered to speak for God. It's someone whose primary purpose was not prediction, but proclamation. Someone who was God's spokesman in their own day and time, declaring to their own generation what God was doing and was about to do. They went, did they go to see a prophet? That's what Jesus said. Did you go out there because he was a prophet? Then verse 9b, he says, Yay, I say unto you. Yeah, sure, that's why you went out there to see John, because he was a prophet. <laughs> he was a prophet. But I tell you, he says, Jesus says, but he was more than a prophet. He says, Jesus said, yes, John is a prophet. He's a spokesman for God. But he says, and more than a prophet. See, what the prophet predicts, predicted, John actually saw and handled. He touched Jesus. Prophets did not get to see the fulfillment of their prophecy. John said, behold, the king is coming. Behold, the Messiah is coming. Get ready, for he's coming. Not only did he get to prophesy that, he got to say, hey, folks, he's here. So not only was he, he was, not, he was more than a prophet, he, not only did he predict it, he actually saw it come about. Remember what John 1, 29 through 36 says. Oh, we already read it before. Remember what he said? And we already read how John foretold that Christ was coming. Then he actually saw it, touched him as he baptized the Messiah. For this is he, he says, of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. See, John was not only a prophet, but a prophecy fulfilled. John was not just a prophet, but he was a prophecy fulfilled. The prophecy, we know in Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to this temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. That's the prophecy, prophesying of, of the coming forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist. Well, then we see in John 3, 1, the writer says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he, the answer to prophecy, that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, or Elijah, 
Isaiah, actually Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. See, John the Baptist was more than a prophet. He was prophecy fulfilled. So those people went out not just to see the prophet, but to see the prophecy fulfilled. Verse 11. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let's break this down. Verily. Jesus said, Jesus really means the, this is a fact beyond dispute. Verily. A fact beyond dispute. And what is the fact beyond dispute? Among them that are born of women. Now, the phrase born of women it's kind of a sort of a Jewish reference or an ancient reference to the human race. It is somewhat common, it was a common designation to designate someone to identify with the human race was that they were born of women. We can give you an example, two examples, matter of fact, from Job. Job chapter 14, verse 1. Man that is troubled, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Job 15, 14 says, What is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman, that he should be righteous. See, that was a common phrase. It referred to his humanity. So verily, among all humanity, is what he said, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said, when it comes to humanness, there is no greater human up to this point than John the Baptist. And Jesus said, remember what Jesus said, Jesus said that this is without doubt. Now, Jesus is strictly speaking on human terms, not spiritual terms. This does not mean that John wasn't spiritual, by the way. It simply means that Jesus is focusing on his humanity. Jesus is basically saying that this is the greatest man who's ever lived up to now. I mean, that would make him greater than Adam, Abraham, Moses, Samuel, David, Solomon, Isaac, just to name a few. I mean, Jesus said, and Jesus is God, <laughs> Jesus knows what he's talking about, and he said, this John the Baptist is greater, a greater human being than any of these that's lived before him. That says a lot. Now remember, Jesus said this is without dispute. So you're not doing any comparison. It's without dispute. No one can even compare otherwise. He uses the phrase risen. Now, risen, commonly used to speak about the appearance of a prophet. So remember, so the verse said, uh, uh, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. That means out of all the prophets, all of the priests, all of the great men of God to this point, there's risen no one. Risen. Look at the word risen. We'll show you how that means. In Matthew 24, 11, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Matthew 24, 24. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets. See, arise means that they're going to, these are people with spiritual background. These are actually two exceptions of a bad rising, but still, you get my point. John was the perfect picture of a great human personality. As far as a great, if you were looking at someone that had human characteristics as being a priest or a prophet or a preacher, man, he had it. I have three things I identified that he had. His preaching was demanding to listen to. You just couldn't turn away. His message was persuasive. Even if you didn't want to, you had to believe that what he was saying was right.
and his position was unwavering. He never changed his mind. Folks, today we need preachers in the pulpit today who preach a demanding message. Being persuasive, allowing the Holy Spirit to pierce the hearts and minds of those who listen. And then they need to be unwavering in their commitment to understand and preach the Word of God. He said, but then he throws in an interesting point. Jesus says, notwithstanding, now, not taking that for granted, he, being John the Baptist, is least in the kingdom of heaven. No, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was great. His human capabilities was tremendous. But see, what Jesus was trying to teach them was that that is not what makes you great in the kingdom of heaven. Your ability to, to speak, your ability to persuade, your ability to stand firm, those are great things. As a human being, that you can do those things. But in the kingdom of God, that's more important. Those people that rely upon those things are in trouble when it comes to the kingdom of God. So you can have some people do some great things, either speak great things, even pretend to be great prophets. And in the end, die and go to hell. For in that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name? And he'll say, depart ye work of iniquity, for I never knew you. See, so that doesn't matter. But Jesus tells the people here, as great as John was, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He's challenging his listeners to rethink their understanding of the kingdom of heaven. He'd already preached Matthew 3, 5, 3 in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what? The grandmother who can no longer go and do things for the church, but sits at home reading her Bible and praying for the pastor and for her children and for the members of the church is greater than John the Baptist. You understand that? He who is least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest man who ever lived in this world, humanly speaking. Jews in Jesus' day, see, believed that the kingdom of God will be established, that would be established to be a political continuation of David's throne, right? They thought that when the king came, that when the Messiah came, he was going to reestablish his kingdom, and David's throne would keep going, and they rebuild their kingdom to the glory days. That's not the kingdom of God. And Jesus wanted them to make that clear. That's not the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is in spirit. The last part of the verse provides Jesus' reason for his statement. He said, The lowest member of the kingdom of heaven, the most humble and God-serving, is greater than the greatest man who ever lived. Jesus is not making a moral distinction here between disciples and John. He's contrasting heavenly and earthly conceptions of greatness. He's praised John for his great humanity, for his greatness, but he wants to make sure I understand that that's not what's going to make the difference. What's going to make the difference is not John's ability to be great in the eyes of men. It's what's going to make him great is in the eyes of God. It's being great in the kingdom of God. Well, John was also great in the kingdom of God. He wasn't trying to say John was not great in the kingdom of God. But he said his all of his humanity put together, all of his great characteristics put together, was not as important as his spiritual abilities.
Verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and violence taketh it by force. Jesus said, the day of John the Baptist until the kingdom of heaven. Now this simply states that there's been a change from the Old Testament prophecies and strategies to a new way of thinking, the kingdom of heaven. See, John the Baptist was the end of the prophetic looking for the Messiah by declaring the Messiah was here now. So all till then prophesying the coming of the Messiah, coming of the Messiah, and John says he's here. He's here, as we say in Johnson County. <laughs> Jesus is here. No more need to prophesy of him coming, although today we know he's coming again. <laughs> we know that because the angel said it. That was the prophecy that we need, was that the angel said it. But man did not say that anymore. They didn't have to prophesy. That ended the Old Testament saints. The last one was, was John the Baptist. Because now we begin the new message. Okay, now that the Savior's here, we don't look towards the cross. We don't look towards it. Now the Savior is here. What do we do? He said, you repent. <laughs> because make way the raid. Because Jesus is here now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here now. The kingdom of heaven, it says, see, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. And the violence take it by force. Violence in the definition, I had to look this up because I was a little confused, but think about this as violence. The term violence means forcible, moving or acting with physical strength, urged or driven with force as a violent wind, a violent stream, a violent assault or blow, a violent conflict. Okay? So violence is more than just seeing thugs out there doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. It means a variety of things. It means moving or acting with physical strength, yes, but urge or driven with force, violent wind, violent stream, something that has power with it. There are two possible ways to translate this verse. Uh, the first, the verb in the middle is called biezo. Uh, and uh, it can be translated as a passive one or as a reflective verb. It can be translated passive if something is doing the action to it. So if you're getting violence done to you, it'll be translated in a passive term. But it can also be translated as an aggressive term, as if you're doing it yourself. You are the generator of the violence. Or remember, the violence being the forcible moving or acting with physical strength, urged or driven with a force. So you could definitely could have violence in the cause of Christ. So let's look at the translation, the, the passive translation. It talks about, the because if we look at it from that term, the kingdom of heaven is suffering violence. True, violence, men are seizing it. In Jesus' day, this is what he was talking about, right? This is the way some believed. There's a saying, the kingdom of heaven is suffering violence. God sent his messenger, his Messiah, his rule, his kingdom, and it is all suffering violence. There's people forcing their way around it to destroy it. It's being persecuted. It's being attacked. Persecution now, that they have broken out in advance of the kingdom. Persecution has broken out against John the Baptist, and he was already in prison. The Pharisees and the scribes had vigorously attacked the kingdom. They had vigorously rejected the Jesus Christ. They had vigorously denied the disciples a place of proper respect. 
We see the kingdom was violently denied. This spiritual reality was being rejected. Jesus came to present the kingdom on earth and the Jews rejected him because that's not the kingdom they wanted. The, king, the Jews were also rejecting the earthly reality of this kingdom. They soon, they would soon kill John the Baptist and later the king himself. Now John's message was so decisive that it created a violent reaction and all of that is true. Violent men are trying to seize the kingdom of heaven by force. They're persecuting and killing anyone who would try to proclaim the truth. They were trying to bring a false kingdom by political means. The kingdom of heaven, the rule of God, and the implementation of his standards are seen by these non-believers as being an attack on their system, and they were trying to stop it. Their rejection of the kingdom of God, as we said before, allowed his earthly reality at that time disallowed the earthly reality. It disallowed the earthly reality so that the kingdom could not come then. It had to come in the future. So in this case, the definition of violence was forcible moving. The subject violence was directed to the true kingdom of heaven and those that support it. Let's look a little bit about reflective translation. The kingdom of heaven is aggressively pushing itself forward. Isn't that a form of violence? Aggressively pushing itself forward and forceful people are eagerly taking it. It means the very opposite of passive. The kingdom is moving ahead and forceful people are entering it. People that says, I don't care what the world says. I'm going to still preach the truth of the gospel. I don't care if this upsets your standard quo. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to preach the gospel in your face gospel. This is a forceful violence associated with that, right? Uh, this statement then, if this is what Jesus meant about John when he said that passage, uh, uh, when he says, and the days of John, the heavens suffer violence and the violence take it by force. If referred to this as being a, a, an aggressive passage, this is a positive statement for John the Baptist. It says that John the Baptist is effective. John was moving ahead. As a result, the kingdom is pressing on in the face of violent opposition. People were turning to God. They were repenting of their sins. He was leading many to Christ. This was prophesied, remember, before his birth. Luke eleven sixteen said, And many children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He did this violently, forcefully. If we view this reflectively, we see Jesus was marking out the greatness of John. Through John, the kingdom was vigorously moving forward. He was God's tool to purify the people. He was God's tool to get them ready. And when Christ came, the kingdom could be seen. The sick were healed. The leper were clean. The dead were raised. The sinner were forgiven. The kingdom was moving. Yes, many refused. But this forerunner of Christ made the way possible for the Savior. So he did it forcefully, violently making it happen because he had to fight against it, folks. Today we live in a world that we have to execute our violently way of doing it. That doesn't mean we abuse people, but we have to fight strong against the forces of evil that push us 
We have to do it. That's violence, folks. That is violence. We have to do it in a violent manner because we can't be timid. That doesn't mean you go out and beat up people. I mean, again, understand the different the definition for violence. In this case, the definition of violence was the subject violence was directed to those that would oppose the true kingdom of heaven and would fight against those that support it. All the laws fall in this category. And everything that we do, we have to do it forcefully, or in Jesus' term, violently. Because it's an opposition, strong opposition to what the world wants today, folks. And that's violence. The violence take it by force. Violent men are taking possession of the kingdom of heaven. In John's example, these men were vigorous, violent, forceful men who dared to do what God commanded in the face of tradition and physical opposition. These men were, were, they were forceful men. Paul was forceful man. Peter, the apostles, they gave their life for this. And they did not quit. Timothy, as he gave, uh, Stephen gave his, as Stephen gave his uh, uh, proclamation and then was stoned. He did it boldly in face of that violence. Luke 16, 16 says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth unto it. Verse 13, For all the prophets and the law prophesy until John. Prophets and law, this is an expression referring to the Old Testament. So, for all the prophets and the law, from all the Old Testament prophesied until John. For all the entirety of the Old Testament, until John. See, for all the Old Testament prophets, all the reading, all the writing, everything before John, until John, Jesus declares that John's message was the climax of the Old Testament. Everything led up to what John was going to say, forcefully, violently, that the Messiah is here. The King has come. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Verse 14, and if you will receive it, this Elijah, which was, come, which was to come, Jesus said, if you will receive it, this is Elijah, which was to come. The Jews expected the return of Elijah before, to, before Elijah himself, before the forerunner of the Messiah. Here Jesus said, it was not to be Elijah, but to be one like him. Remember the birth announcement in Luke 1.17, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. See, it was never, they misunderstood what he said. What he said was, it'd be someone like Elijah. Elijah, remember, stood boldly before the king, before King Ahab and, and, uh, and uh, um, Jezebel. And he preached the word of God. And he prayed and fire came down and destroyed all of the sacrifices. And then he killed all of the, all the men of Baal. See, the power of Elijah. Jesus proclaimed John to be the fulfillment of that prophecy. So John is more than a prophet. You come to see a prophet? He's much more than a prophet. He's a fulfillment of a prophecy. Verse 15. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. They should think carefully about what they have heard. They should respond correctly to the challenges it poses. He said, well, I just told you. Think about it. Be careful in what you decide after this. And then he gives them, he talks to them. He says in verse 16. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is likened to children sitting in the markets and calling into the fellows. See, Jesus now turns to the crowd, more specifically to those who reject his word. These people rejected after hearing the facts presented. They did not hear, or they heard, but they wouldn't listen. 
And he said, it is like unto children sitting in the markets. Children is a reflection of those without much maturity. These are spiritually immature people. They don't know the truth of the word. These children were yelling at or trying to draw the attention of those in the same status. Those people that were the same people. We see that today. I uh, just saw something on the news this morning about uh, the 4th of July was yesterday. And, and we just saw some of the news. These people doing these radical uh, protests out there and said, we shouldn't have 4th of July until everybody's free. And you shouldn't be doing it. Why are you having it? See, it's the, the, the cry from these crazy people. Yes, I said that. These crazy people is that if you don't do what I say, if you don't do it the way I say it, then I'm not going to accept you at all. I'm going to try to get everybody. Everybody has to do it my way. These children, these immature people, these immature spiritually speaking generation, he said, are yelling, do it my way. Do it my way. Verse 17 says, and saying, we have piped unto you. We have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. In this illustration, the children played music and sang, but their friends don't want to play along. They said, why aren't you doing what we're doing? Why aren't you marching in the streets? Why aren't you fussing at the police officers and putting your fingers in their face and using profanity? We're doing it. Why aren't you doing it? Come on. you got to be with us. Jesus said, that is because they're immature. That's why they're doing it. Because they don't have any spiritual maturity. That's why they're doing that. It was in their Jesus' day. It's in our day. There's no different. The Bible's true. It's true about then. It's true today. He says in verse 18, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he hath a devil. He said, let me show you how crazy these people are. Let me show you how crazy and mature these people are. He said, John the Baptist came eating and not eating and not drinking. Uh, he expressed, John had the message of judgment. And he had a lifestyle of denial. And he would not accept their invitations. And because of that, they called him a devil. Verse 19, and the Son of Man, or Jesus, came eating and drinking, and they call, and they said, Behold, a man of gluttonous and wine bubblers, a friend of publicans and sinners. See, Jesus' message was one of hope and joy. He accepted their invitations to win the lost where they were. But again, they called him names because they had to do something because he wasn't doing it their way. They rejected John. They rejected Jesus. Neither one of these fit their expectations. John, not of Elijah, and Jesus, not of the Messiah. Then Jesus leaves us in the last verse, last part of that verse 19. But wisdom is justified of her children. Wisdom, Jesus said, but wisdom is justified of her children. Not these crazy people. Not these immature, Christ, these immature uh, spiritual speaking lost people. But wisdom is justified of her children. We go back to Proverbs 1.7. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Those with wisdom have no problem accepting what Jesus had to say. And those who follow the world struggle today. Conclusion. John the Baptist was a great because he gave all to serve the Lord. He forced the message out into the world that did not want to hear it. Jesus said, as a great man as John was, all his personal skills and determination, humanly speaking, 
We can do much more as children of the kingdom of God through His Holy Spirit. See, John had a fear of the Lord, and that resulted in having wisdom to know the truth and act upon it. John was human, just like us. Sometimes we have those moments of doubt when things just are not going the way we feel they ought to. Listen, that does not make us lost. It makes us weary. Jesus always feels our fears and provides us the answer we need if we do like John did and seek the answers from the Savior. Let's pray that God give us the wisdom and the courage to do His will and force the violence aside so we, can, we do not fear the world but trust the Father and when those momentary flashes of doubt arise, do what John did. Take it to the Savior. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity we can have, that we can come to you, we can open your word. We thank you, Lord, for this powerful message from Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus is providing us some knowledge about John the Baptist and what he was. But more than that, Lord, he's showing us that we need to be that example. We need to go forth and do the things. We need to understand that the world's children, the generation we got today, that children are immature and they don't have wisdom and they act upon things. They, they cry. They want everybody to follow them or else. And then they want to call people that aren't following them names. But the last part of that verse, Lord, in 19, we thank you for that, that said, tells us that wisdom the children of wisdom. That's who we want to be, Lord. For the fear of the Lord is the be the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time and your attention. We hope you have a great week.